You're listening to The Leonard Lopate Show on AM820 and 93.9 WNYC. The sculptures of equatorial Africa have influenced many of the great modernist artists like Pablo Picasso, Henri Matisse, André Doren, Brancusi, and even the Surrealists. The Europeans drew upon, largely anyway, the aesthetic aspects of the African works, but to the people making them, their cultural importance was of a very different sort. A new exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Eternal Ancestors, the Art of the Central African Reliquary, reveals what this art meant to the cultures that created it. And here to talk about the exhibit is curator Elisa Lagama, one of the Metropolitan Museum's uh, Department of the Arts in... She's from the Met's Department of the Arts in, uh, of Africa, Oceania, and the Americas, and I'm very pleased to welcome her to our show. Hello. Thanks for having me. What role did these works play in the cultures in which they were created? All of the works that we've assembled for this uh, special exhibition were created to amplify the power of ancestral relics. Um, the point of connection with an extended family's most revered ancestors. So uh, one of the dramatic things that we've tried to accomplish with this exhibition is not to experience the works as isolated uh, artifacts, but to um, reinfuse them with uh, an understanding of their spirituality and also of the larger shrine context that they were once uh, a part of. Was their purpose ceremonial? They were the focal point of um, the ongoing dialogue that happened between uh, the the leader of a family and the most important um, uh, ancestors in that particular line, and so they were the the works of sculpture were actually positioned at the summit of a of a receptacle that had relics within, and that ensemble w- was actually positioned on an altar in the um, in a in a private chamber within the home. And so these were um, devotional sites um, that um, the leader of a family would regularly um, address in times of need um, so that um, a family's ancestors were invoked in all times, all kinds of crises. They're also often quite beautiful. Were aesthetic considerations important to the people making them and living with them? Yeah, the, the relics that were retained were precious sacra, and um, in order to properly honor and um, celebrate the role that the ancestors played in people's lives, um, they merited having extraordinarily beautiful, idealized uh, references to uh, the founding ancestors. So um, all the works of sculpture that you see in the exhibition are not portraits of individuals, but they're the idea of the founder of the great um, individual who set in line an entire um, family's history, and um, they are—they were the, the the accessible element of an ancestral shrine. The sacra were preciously guarded within a container, and but the sculpture was accessible to the entire family and was really a bridge between the living and the divine. But it's only the aesthetic side that seems to have 
connected with Europeans. The Europeans, uh, do you think that they were even aware that these sculptures served a different function with among the people who created them? It's very interesting when you um, look at the commentaries that various artists in Paris and Berlin in the capitals of Europe um, make uh, upon uh, having an initial um, encounter with these works. They don't ever really care to learn the specifics about how these works functioned in people's lives, but they do sense the the spiritual power of these works. And uh, most notably, um, there's uh, a story about um, Picasso's visit to the Trocadero African galleries that was a transformative experience for him, that he is said to have... Um, recalled you know really having had a um, a spiritual experience um, encountering these works um, and many of the artists who were fascinated by these works comment on the fact that they remind them in a way of medieval art that there's an intense um, spirituality about the work but also a directness a lack of artifice and so um, you see parallels being made with their own heritage of Christian art. Also a recognition that this is something different from the Greek ideal of making sculpture look like flesh uh, but I, I wonder if it's important to understand the meanings behind these works if we're still able to appreciate them on an aesthetic level. I think that um, it's it's wonderful to experience them on an aesthetic level. They are great masterpieces of sculpture on a par with all great artistic traditions. And we've brought together the very best examples, which is an extraordinary opportunity to see all these places pieces that have been assembled from the world's great collections of African art, but I think that it becomes more meaningful if we understand the impetus behind their creation. And um, in 1984, the Museum of Modern Art did a, an extraordinarily important exhibition, Primitivism and Modern Art, where they really awakened an American public to the important uh, place that non-Western art had in the consciousness of um, Western art. But um, one of the, the shortcomings of that particular presentation um, was that they were not able to go into the um, significance of the African works, and that was not their project, that was not their intention. But um, at this point in time, we're ready to pick up where they left off and explore the, the underlying significance of these pieces. They're more interested in a dialogue between the African art and Western art, and you're more interested in what is this African art really all about. But it's from a specific part of Africa, uh, Gabon, Equatorial Guinea, Cameroon, the Republic of Congo, and, and certain groups, not others, uh, why these? Did they have? Uh, are they different from the arts of other parts of Africa? Um, the the exhibition is regionally focused, so in a sense, it's a survey of art from the heart of the continent, um, and it's thematic. It's focusing on these great reliquary sculptures, 
And um, the, the point that we're making is that often um, one of the generalizations that's made about the impact of African art on the West is that all African art influenced the avant-garde. Well, the earliest wave of works of African art that arrived in the West were these equatorial sculptures. So the Dogon came later, the yes. very popular group now. Yes, the earliest pieces to um, arrive in in Paris and Berlin were from this area of um, present-day Gabon, and there was an intense competition between the different European powers um, to um, chart the geography of this region and to claim, uh, make uh, territorial claims, and so you have... Um, uh, French explorers, German explorers, um, visiting this area beginning in the 1840s and 50s, bringing back artifacts, and those are the very first things that enter the ethnographic museums in Paris and Berlin. But it also uh, means that this art played a role in forwarding European imperial interests. Yeah, I mean, the objects are basically being brought back as um, examples of the kinds of um, cultures that the explorers are encountering. And they're not added to the art museum collections. They're added to these brand new institutions that are being developed during this period in um, European culture that are uh, basically science and ethnography institutions. Um, so they're not being looked at necessarily as cultural. And what time are we talking about? 1840s, 1850s uh, is a, when those museums are being founded. At a time when modernism is just starting, although the explosion doesn't seem to occur until the early 20th century. Well, these objects enter into uh, the ethnographic museums, and it takes about 30 years for artists to begin looking at them. It's this really this period of the Belle Epoque um, in France where artists are looking for new models um, to um, explore as avenues of expression. Um, there's a serendipity between their awareness of the, these um, artifacts being available to them and their interest in um, charting new directions. My guest is Elisa Lagama, who is the curator of Eternal Ancestors, the art of the Central African Reliquary at the Metropolitan Museum now through uh, March 2nd, 2008, so you have plenty of time to see it, but this is the kind of exhibit you may want to see more than once. These things are made mostly out of perishable materials. Wood is perishable, so we probably don't have art that goes back all that far because eventually the wood deteriorates. And a lot of it is also made out of soft material. A lot of it's made out of fabrics, isn't it? Yeah, one of the extraordinary things that you find in visiting the exhibition is that um, you know, there, there are 14 different distinct cultures that um, whose art forms we've gathered together. Um, and although the impetus is the same in each of them to, um, to amplify, to expand upon a precious ancestral relic, um, each of them finds a completely original solution to doing so artistically. And they all draw upon different kinds of materials. So we have wood sculpture in the exhibition. We have wood with metal um, surfaces applied to it. That is yet another kind of um, sculptural tradition. We have works in textiles. 
um, that are that are sculptural. And um, what the artists in these different traditions are doing is they're taking very precious material. In equatorial Africa, metals were very laboriously mined and had great um, uh, value. And um, uh, the brass and copper that you see on the surface of of a lot of the reliquary sculptures in the exhibition was um, valued like gold and silver would have been in in the West. Um, Likewise, textiles were very laborious products of local weavers and then eventually very expensive imported products from uh, the West. And so um, the use of those materials was also a commentary on the preciousness of the sculptures. Do we see an influence of Western art on this as uh, time goes on? Well, we see them definitely expanding the uh, vocabulary of uh, the traditions by incorporating imported um, materials um, instead of just using local fabrics that were hand woven they're using um, factory produced textiles from the West that have all different kinds of new patterns and um, so there's definitely um, you know a, a, an impact from the outside world that's evident in the work. When did Americans start collecting this art? Americans start collecting in the um, the teens and twenties. Um, there, so it's pretty late. It's after the Europeans have already made this into something very important. Um, it's it's about a decade after the artists in Paris um, become um, enthralled with this material, and um, one of the earliest um, advocates for interest in. Um, African art among the New York avant-garde is John Graham, the artist and critic, and he um, writes on the subject, collects, advises Frank Crowninshield, who was the editor of Vanity Fair, um, among other people. Um, Also, Alfred Stieglitz plays an important role um, because he has the first exhibition of African art as art at 291, his gallery. But it's interesting that this art went to Europe first, and then the artists looked at it. In this country, the modern art came first, and then people started looking at African art as an an influence, but not as a link to so many people who lived here who had been brought here as part of the slave trade. And there's a real disconnect, isn't there? Because this art is the art of the royal courts, of the elite, and the people in this country had been totally separated from that experience. Um, well, I wouldn't say that these arts, um, the, the, the communities that these arts um, related to were definitely um, non-hierarchic societies. Um, the, the head of an extended family was the keeper of the work. So you, you didn't have, um, you know, courts. It, it's very different than, say, the Kingdom of Benin or other more centralized um, centers in West Africa. But, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, so many generations have gone by since um, African-American have connected with these works that it is considered not part of their immediate cultural heritage. And it's also... um, um, you know, Africa is such an enormous cultural expanse, and um, I think that it's hard to necessarily connect with it generically. I think that people are more and more 
um, finding out the specifics of their heritage and trying to identify with a particular part of the continent. How much of the, how many of the pieces in this exhibit come directly out of the Metropolitan Museum's own collection? Well, the really special thing that we've been able to do is to take, you know, great works of medieval and Asian art from the permanent collection, as well as some of the icons of our African collection, and introduce the subject by um, positioning African art in a global perspective. So the first section of the exhibition that you enter is a kind of a sacred conversation between great works of um, great masterpieces of African sculpture that we've borrowed for the exhibition and some of the more celebrated medieval works from the cloisters and um, the medieval collection in the main building. Um, So you can see things that um, may be very familiar to you, but in a new uh, dialogue, in a new relationship with um, works from Africa that um, have very parallel um, significance. And obviously that's uh, one of the points you want uh, visitors to take away from the exhibit, that this art does not just come out of a vacuum, it does not just come out of a desire to make interesting art as so much Western art does, but that there, it has uh, the same kind of impulse behind it that the abstracted art of the, mid, the Middle Ages has, uh, something that we can connect to, but uh, through our own experience. Yeah, I mean, there are certain um, very interesting parallels um, with um, Buddhism and Christianity um, that are um, you know, prof- profoundly relevant to understanding this African material. And one of the great ironies um, of history is that when Catholic and Protestant missionaries um, first began um, converting people in this region of equatorial Africa, uh, they considered the traditions of the works in this exhibition to be antithetical um, to the the new face that they were introducing, and um, um, and in fact, they um, some of the works in the exhibition we specifically know were relinquished by their owners to missionaries at the time of their conversion. So there, I mean, we have um, a situation where. Um, missionaries are not at all um, seeing some of the really interesting underlying um, parallels between the two um, world's views that are in play. Elisa Lagama is the curator of Eternal Ancestors, the Art of the Central African Reliquary. It's at the Metropolitan Museum of Art now through March 30th, 2008, and it has a gorgeous, there's also a gorgeous Catalog that's published by the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me.